We have a problem. When consumers or patients see a clinician, they get information and education and advice and treatment. And there in the consult room, it all makes sense. But then the patient leaves and then they're out in the wild. They're left to their own devices. Now we used to talk about Dr. Google, people searching up symptoms and incorrectly diagnosing themselves. The next level now is Dr. TikTok. There are loads of health influencers online giving free, accessible, bite-sized, easy to consume and uplifting advice. Some of it's really good and some of it's horrible. So how's anyone actually supposed to work out which one is good advice and which one is bad advice? And as a healthcare industry, we can laugh and scoff at all this bad advice because we know what patients should do, right? But guess what? They don't. Why? They didn't get the support they needed from the system in the first place. As a healthcare industry, that's our problem to solve. Some patients don't trust the system. Something broke in that whole process on how we've communicated with the most important person here, the consumer. So what do we do about it? Well, on the show today, Sophie Turner from Talking Health Tech speaks to Chris Pimble, CEO and founder of Graphics et al., who are on a mission to simplify complex concepts and help you create scientifically accurate images and animations in minutes. In this episode, you'll learn about how health literacy is an everyone problem, how accessibility in health education is nowhere near acceptable, especially when compared to education in schools, and how improving health education in patients and carers would help address the single largest cost in healthcare. Collaboration starts with a conversation team health tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Join me in Amsterdam from the 17th to the 20th of June for Health Europe, the region's most important healthcare event. I'm so pumped I'm going to be there with over 3,500 delegates and speakers from around the world, including a big crew of Aussies as well. I'll tell you what, it's going to be a big week. Make sure you're there to catch me live on stage, capturing insights from speakers and recording interviews for The Beat by Health. So make sure you're there, hunt me down and say g'day or hello or whatever we say in Amsterdam. If you've not got your ticket, there's still time. Use the coupon code and the link in the show notes of this episode for your discounted ticket. All right. Well, welcome. Do you want to tell me a little bit who you are and what you do? So I am Chris. I am the founder and CEO of Graphics et al., which is a software for creating accessible patient education diagrams and animations online. I am also an anatomist and a passionate scientific communicator. Amazing. How did you come to combine the scientific and the creator to come up with graphics? Uh, it's a long Weird story, actually. Uh, once upon a time, I was a product developer and a graphic artist for a large government tenders. And one of the largest parts of my role was taking a requirement from the government, which would be like a 20, 30 page written specification, and then designing the product, but then also creating the specifications for creating that product to go over to Laos or Vietnam or anywhere that you knew for a fact that they wouldn't be speaking English as a primary language. But then you also knew that the likelihood of them having a high enough literacy level in their own language was really slim. So it was standard to create diagrams that just had arrows and numbers and pictures and that's how you communicated. And it was 
good enough to produce $50 million tenders without fault. But when I went to university to get into health, I realized that we're not paying anywhere near as much attention to how we educate in health as we are to manufacturing. It's obviously because there's a lot more money involved theoretically, but then when you dive deeper into it, you realize there's really not, there's actually more at risk here in health. Wow. So what's been your biggest learning so far from doing what you do? The biggest thing I've learned is that everybody really wants better outcomes in healthcare. It's something that we're all striving for. We're all doing what we can and working in our own way to achieve it. But there is a lot of yeah, emphasis on improving technologies and improving drug outcomes and improving device outcomes, rightfully so. But there's a large portion of the population that's getting left behind and um, there doesn't seem to be any hard and fast systems in place to try and solve that. So certainly getting to that, we're very focused on that solution to what we can see at the moment in that reactive sort of healthcare space as opposed to the proactive or the education piece so people can be empowered in their own healthcare. Absolutely, which I can completely understand why that happens because there seems to be an acceptable amount of lack of health literacy for possibly lack of a better term. It's completely expected that say 40-50% of the patients you see won't follow through with the care regime that you've given them or won't complete a drug dosage to for the rest of their script or won't even refill their scripts. But the research shows that the reason that's happening is because of its lack of education. It's something that can be addressed relatively easily. It's something that we use a lot of really accessible and inclusive systems in high schools to educate students who have different learning needs. So we know how to get better outcomes with education. We're just not doing that in health yet. I think there was a point you made when we were talking about the podcast that was it the average reading level is a two, yet those of us writing the resources and the information for the community are all tertiary educated, which is a level five. So I think a level two is grade seven to grade 10. Yes. And it's really difficult, right, to put yourself into the shoes of one of your consumers or your patients. You can't, it's really difficult to say, okay, I currently have a tertiary level reading ability and comprehension ability. What about my patient who only went through to grade six or seven or was educated in a different country in a different language and then moved to Australia? It's next to impossible to put yourself in that situation to understand what they need. But yes, the average literacy level in Australia is far below what the average health literature is provided at. Yeah. As a nurse myself with a sort of long background looking after patients, you sort of understand that, but to see it so the disparity between the two is quite significant. And it definitely changes the way in which you talk to people. And talking to children is much easier, mm. but changing that necessarily depending on your adult populations can be a challenge in itself as well. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And if you think about the average patient experience of walking into a GP, they get maybe 15 minutes of FaceTime with a doctor who is well overburdened in this system and they're stressed and the patient can sense that. And I have this conversation with a lot of people when the doctor says to you, do you have any questions? You always go, nope. Do you understand it? Yep. And then you walk out of there and you're like, that all went over my head. I have a fistful of papers and I don't know what to do. Who in my phone book would actually know what this is? And then I would argue that likely many of your listeners are the designated healthcare person in their family or in their friend group. And I know I don't have a clinical background, but I'm the person who gets the phone calls. I don't know what this drug is. I don't know what my doctor said. 
this all looks a bit funny. Should I go to the hospital? Like I'm the person who gets those phone calls and it's pretty continuous. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that in itself just begins the perpetuation of these presentations and to hospital that could be prevented. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, a lot of people would argue and don't quote me on this or obviously going to quote me on this, but I know that most people would argue that preventing illness and caring for current conditions is like the most important thing because decline is never good. And that's generally when you would see them in the healthcare system is when their condition has gotten worse and they've then had to go seek treatment later and things have gotten a lot worse. They require more complex interventions and worse drugs and things like that. It's not ideal. If we could find a way to help patients care for themselves more effectively, Mm. then a lot of these things could be avoided. And I imagine saving the health system a great deal could channel some of that budgetary savings into the health promotion and improving health literacy. Absolutely. There are a lot of really great organisations working specifically on that movement within the health system at the moment, and they are finding really incredible outcomes. It's um, I believe Western Sydney Local Health District did a really incredible piece around their COVID vaccination education, and they specifically went into their cold, their culturally and linguistically diverse communities and created resources for that community that they knew would be accessible and understandable by those communities. And they had some of the greatest vaccination rates in the world just by creating accessible health education materials. So how do we start going about that? Or what are the steps? Well, it's not an easy answer, right? Because the problem is that there's so much in health. It's such a large topic and so incredibly broad. I think the most important thing to remember is that is counterintuitive, but words are the enemy. Everything that we do in our company is about stripping back as much unnecessary languages as possible, providing lots of different forms of education. So it's not just written, which is standard, but not really not great. Also diagrams, animations, links to YouTube videos, patient experience journals and things like that. Anything that you can do to provide multiple education formats that the patient then can choose which resonates with them is really important. And unfortunately, it can't be on the physicians. They have too much to do. They just don't have the time. It can't be on the physicians. It can't be on the nurses. It can't be on the frontline staff. It needs to be on the systems and the clinics and the hospitals to find a way to put that support in place. A big challenge. Incredibly large. (laughs) It's, you know, I understand that I'm basically sitting here saying, you know, we're doing it all wrong. We need to change everything floor to ceiling. But Unfortunately, if we don't start putting these things in place, as technology gets more and more sophisticated, we're just going to keep finding greater disparity in health literacy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Certainly seeing that even just the geographical challenges of where we all live and technology does some wonderful things, but it also brings with it its own challenges. Absolutely. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, 
preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Absolutely. I have spoken to patients in the past who, to this day, quite young people to this day, would prefer to be emailing and talking to their healthcare staff on the phone. And when you start saying to them, well, we have this app and three new online portals and this and that, they find it really confronting and inaccessible. Not everybody has a smart device. As, as hard as we find that to believe, not everybody does. There are entire families that might have one phone between them. It's not ideal to assume that we're pushing everybody towards the same goal when really that's not the case. Now, I have been, I don't have TikTok on my phone. So when I was reading through our notes for today, over the weekend, I had to sit there and I ended up having a deep dive in Dr. TikTok. And I knew it was horrifying, but it's wild. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. And in fairness, not all clinicians feel this way, but I have spoken to some clinicians before about patient education and I have more than I would heard back. It's on the patient to educate themselves and make sure they understand. The problem there is that inaccurate health information is so readily available and so accessible. You flick through TikTok and there are a lot of really incredible health influences on TikTok. There's also a lot of not so incredible health influences on TikTok. And if you don't have a clinical background, how can you tell the difference between the two? It's really difficult to make sure that you are ingesting the right information and not listening to incorrect information. And TikTok is such a accessible media type. It really is. They have that nailed down to, you know, the very short, fast snippets of rapid fire content, really bright, really loud. It's really attractive to a lot of people. But yes, it's a little bit horrifying. <laughs> a little bit horrifying. But also a scope for TikTok is that just that very short snippet and being able to take really complex information and resources that we're producing for the consumer to then be able to simplify it or condense it down into a TikTok that's a credible TikTok, I imagine would be an interesting way of... Yeah, that's that's one way to put it. (laughs) And again, I have to preface, there are a lot of really incredible health influences on TikTok, less so in Australia. I know the clinical population in Australia, we have other guidelines around what you can and can't do and how you can advertise. So a lot of the information that people get from Dr. TikTok is US-based. So then again, different systems, different medication types, different even just different categorizations of health things. So people are listening to information about their illness that's coming Very out of the US. Very different therapeutic and, guidelines. Exactly, exactly. It's really not applicable. But then the problem is that in health need to realize and accept that it's here, it exists, people are using it to educate themselves and the reason they're doing that is because they're scared, they need more information, they feel under-educated and they don't really have anywhere else to turn. Mm. So it's, it's Bite, there. <laughs> bite-sized, simple. Absolutely, absolutely, especially if you're talking about the patient has the possibility of needing to take a really scary drug or TikTok tells them that they can have fruit juice mm, instead. Yeah, it's, it's not just the accessibility of the content. It's also that oftentimes 
what you're being told is that, no, your doctor's overreacting. Mm. You can actually get better doing this instead of this. Don't get therapy. Don't do that. It's comforting. Yeah. But a beast in itself. Ultimately detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for dragging you into that. Oh, yeah, it was a while, like, <laughs> dive into YouTube and watching yeah. different things. And I was like, oh, I was like, that one's really good. That one's horrendous. Yeah. And the problem is that the algorithms don't discriminate. So no. if you're looking through one that's all about maybe clean eating or getting exercise every day, and next thing you know, because of the tagging system, you're getting dragged into one that's talking about alternative therapies that mm. do not work or can be dangerous. And you don't know because you think, well, I was just here and this sounded yes, reasonable, this, this sounded right. right, and then next thing you know, yeah, not ideal. Yeah, no, not at all and certainly adds to the burden of the challenge of it communication, does. doesn't it? It does, and unfortunately it's not going anywhere. We're, there is nothing we can do to remove it. It exists. We just need to find a way to bring in our own education piece so that patients feel like they can access it. We're never going to get to as easily imbibable as TikTok, but... It shows the fact that it is picking up to be so prevalent and so popular shows that patients do want more education. They're just not getting what they need. So interesting. I did a little bit of work when I worked for the Gold Coast mm. around trying to prevent those unscheduled hospital admissions and it was huge. And we were only looking at the 11% of the population that had those the chronic conditions and comorbidities where you could, if you intervene now, you can start making a bit of a difference or at least try and educate them and empower them and link mm -hmm. them, you know, have more continuity of care across the GP and the whole system. And it was such a challenging and an interesting space to yeah. work in. And then you go back to the emergency department and you see the same thing the yeah. whole time. It's rough. I have a friend who's an ED physician and, um, it does seem like it would be a continually frustrating situation because you obviously want the best for your patients. Mm. You don't want to keep seeing the same easily avoidable issues popping up time and again. You, you know, I don't believe that anyone got into healthcare, did it for any reason other than they wanted to help people. Yeah. So, yeah, being in that situation where you are essentially just watching people deteriorate in avoidable ways, it's, it can't be fun. Yeah, no, it certainly has its challenges mm. and can keep you on your toes absolutely absolutely um, yeah definitely health promotion health literacy I think there's a lot that mm. can be done in that space yeah yeah specifically accessible you say the same message the same way over and over again you're going to keep getting the same result but if you find different ways to develop to deliver that message you'll find something that sticks and the same methods of communication don't work for everybody that's why it's important to have different delivery methods and at the end of the day if you make your message and your education content at a easily accessible level you're not going to have highly educated people coming in and getting handed a diagram or you know a link to a youtube presentation and going oh, this is too accessible you've offended me like this this was too easy to understand this is you know at the end of the day it just makes it better for everybody we should be catering to the people who need the most help not saying to everybody else, well, you just have to catch up and do better. Yeah. yeah. So you're speaking at our winter summit coming up on the 24th of August? Yes. And what are you going to be speaking about there? So we're going to be talking about the principles of designing technology or software specifically for patients. And one of the things that I think we as a system don't do well enough is bringing patient voices in early enough and often enough to get 
real feedback and real guidance on what they actually need. It's something that I'm even guilty of this, you know, when we first started developing our company, I had an idea for something that I thought would help. And we went out and we started building. Like straight away, the first thing we did was we started building, we started designing it. And we didn't start actually getting input from our potential customers or even our end users until far later. And I'm not alone in that journey. Most of the founders I've spoken to have had a similar sort of journey. And I think if we put more weight on bringing in consumer voices, health consumer voices in developing systems that are designed essentially for them, you know, whether we're making a doctor's workflow more streamlined or if we're making drugs that are meant to be more useful and more helpful for patients, we're still ultimately designing something that is for a better health experience and health journey for the patient. I don't think we consult them enough. I really don't. Has that for you in your founder journey, has, did that have a massive impact and a change in how you were, your vision and how you were approaching the problem? Absolutely. One of the things that really opened my eye to the importance of that, of course, you know, through my own lens, I have a university qualification. I work in research and you could argue that I have a sort of the higher tertiary level, understanding level and cognition for literacy. I assumed we were hitting a good accessibility with our content and that was, you know, by I had really worked to try and make it as accessible as possible and then we had a new customer coming in who had patients who were actually pediatric patients with complex comorbidity. So you're talking about patients who are very young and their parents are scared. They have very complex care needs and the rate of medication failure in these patients is huge. And having to think about how we can design for those situations really raised the bar as to what we were doing as far as accessibility goes. We actually now have a special needs educator who works with us and they use the principles that they're taught as teachers to make sure that the content that we're providing actually meets a lot of the accessibility criteria for patients that would have lower cognition, which you're talking about pediatric patients, but it's also relevant for aged care mm. patients who don't have a great memory, who might have issues um, understanding the content, even if they can read it perfectly, they might have to read it five or six times and then it doesn't really stay in. So yeah, working with patients that have a greater need for accessibility in their content has changed our outlook entirely. And this is maybe in the last six months we've overhauled our systems and made everything more accessible and put a lot of streamlined practices in place so we make sure that everybody is following the exact same procedure when they're developing the final content so that it really does hit these targets of accessibility. Yeah, wow. So leaning into that, you'll have, there's a couple of consumer advocates on the panel. Yes, we have some incredible people who will be speaking on the panel, um, one of whom has been a lifelong healthcare consumer, one of whom designs products specifically for paediatric patients and one of whom actually has a background as a clinician and then also now works in, as a healthcare consumer. So it's going to be really interesting to get that sort of range of expertise and experiences and see how that translates into what they believe patient input should look like. Yeah, wow. It's a few nuggets in there, I'm sure, that we can (laughs) all take away. Yeah, I'm sure it will ruffle a few feathers because 
there are a lot of systems in place that don't really like seeking outside advice. They don't really necessarily want input from consumers. I think we know better mentality is something that needs to go in healthcare. It can't. We know what our patients need. It needs to be recessed. That can't stay there. So if we had one takeaway from today, what would you like that message to be to our listeners? The most important thing to keep in mind is that accessibility in health literacy is an everyone problem. We've spoken about the statistics. There's a really big stigma around accessible health literacy and people assuming that it's for immigrant communities or First Nation communities or maybe it's only for children or aged care. But the honest truth is that if only 40% of us are health literate, it's far more of a problem than anyone wants to accept. And it's a very addressable problem. It really is. It's just a case of putting different systems in place to make sure that the education content that you're providing your patient is not just a written first PDF that can't be accessed by screen readers, can't be read by people who have a lower literacy level. Maybe your patient doesn't read English at all, or maybe your patient is a child or an elderly person who's going to forget the handout in the car and lose it as soon as they walk outside the door. You know, There are a lot of ways that we can think about how patients want to take better care of themselves. They want to understand their care needs better. The reason they're not is because the systems in place are not accessible at this stage, but it is such a surmountable problem. And yet it would make everyone's lives easier in healthcare. Everyone. Patients would have better outcomes. Physicians would see less of the same returning patients with the same problems. We'd see less decline in the healthcare system. We'd see less preventable hospitalizations, lower cost burden, you know, then we can really focus on making really sophisticated systems that will make people live forever. But in the meantime, if patients don't know which drug is for which condition or they don't know whether they can go for a swim after taking the medication, which sounds simple, but these are the sorts of questions that people ask, people want to take better care of themselves. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to the uh, summit. In your session, it'll be very insightful. Yes. <laughs> good fun, away. good fun. No, it'll be fun. Thank you for your time today. Oh, do, you have, welcome. do you have anything else you want to add? If anybody would like to know what sort of accessible systems they can put in place, they're more than welcome to contact me. This is something that I'm very passionate about outside of the company. I'm more than happy to help and connect people with experts in different areas. It's really something that I'm quite passionate about. Amazing. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been really nice chatting to you. I've learned a lot. It's a lot I didn't know. (laughs) So thank you. You're more than welcome. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.